All right, so let's dive into the Word of God. You're going to need your Bibles. Also take the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door out. Let me give you the fill in the blank. If you're watching online, make sure that you grab the app. That will give you the fill in the blank. You can take some notes, kind of follow along with us, and that allows you to feel like you're here with us. Love that. So thank you for being a part of it. We are in part 28 of our series, Walking Through the Book of Acts, line by line. And that series is called The Empowered Church. And truly, we are watching biblical reality come alive at Bridgeway. We are in a season of blessing. We're in a season where people are getting saved, a season where people are being healed, a season where there are miracles. We're in this 40-day fast process prepping for an outpouring of God's Spirit. So indeed, we are watching that which happens in Acts come alive. And to me, it's one of the most exciting seasons I've ever been a part of at this church. I'm so glad that you're with us. Now, I'm going to dive in in my intro, and it's going to take a little bit as I kind of share a thought. And it all begins with a question that I'm going to ask you, but I already know your answer. Have you ever heard no when you ask God for something? Right? <laughs> I would imagine you probably feel like those are the majority, right? You're like, dang it! I keep asking for stuff, and God's like, no, 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 no. Right? Now, you happen to do dumb prayers. Totally get it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Lord, can I be rich? And he's like, well, you're a train wreck. So I'm going to say no on that one. Right? I mean, we have all kinds of stuff that we lift up to the Lord. But where it really kind of weighs on our spirit heavily is when we assume something's wrong with us. When we assume that our prayers are not being heard or God is rejecting us or God is saying no because he doesn't care about what we care about. You see, when we read the Bible wrongly, we set up this expectation that everybody that asked God for something in the Bible got an instant clear answer, right? You're just reading through it and it's like at the moment that they lifted it up, amen, ding, they got something in their email. And God was like, here's everything you need to do for life and godliness. It will all work out great for you. You'll never fail. Okay, that's not a thing. It was just as messy then as it is now. And how you are processing it, learning to dial into the voice of the Lord, going into your quiet place, I would suggest to you, you are hearing more from God than the Old Testament heard from God. I'm going to encourage you that because you have the Holy Spirit, He is over-communicating to you. He is closer than ever. But sometimes, He has to tell you, no. And I'm not sure that we react very well to that. When he tells us no, many of us say, well, then you don't love me. That's not true. Many of us say, well, if you say no to me, then, then clearly you don't have an idea of what I'm really seeking for. Mm, God has bigger dreams than you do. So what I want to do is I want to begin our time together by walking through the Bible and sharing that an awful lot of incredible saints heard no. So if you hear no, you're in good company. First family ever on this planet, Adam and Eve, they had two sons. Anybody remember their names? Cain and Abel. All right. Well, at some point, it was revealed that they were supposed to bring a sacrifice to God. And Cain brought his, Abel brought his. God accepted Abel's but rejected Cain's. Do you remember that? He offered him something, offered him uh, 
from his harvest, and God said, I don't want it. No, now there's no clear explanation why, but after Cain gets super upset about it, God said, hey kid, if you would have done it right, don't you think I would have received it? What was his point? It seems to be that Cain was operating without his heart engaged. He wasn't doing it right. It didn't matter enough to him. So he was just going through the motions and God said, don't play with me. I don't need you to just kind of offer up stuff and pretend like you're doing your devotions, but your heart isn't in it. I'm not interested in that. I either want you or I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, I need you. And that was a discipling thing. All right, well, once again, what about Moses? Moses is a guy that we know God liked a whole bunch. As a matter of fact, it says in the Bible, he talked with Moses face to face as with a friend. So there's no question on whether or not Moses was loved, but sure enough, he's 80 years old. He's walking through the wilderness up on a mountain, sees a burning bush. God's voice comes out and says, you're going to be a deliverer. Moses said, that's a terrible idea. You need to choose somebody else. What did God say? No, you're my guy. Moses is like, I'm not very good at this. And he's like, that is correct. However, <laughs> I never said you had to be amazing. I said, I'm amazing and I would like to use you. So I understand you want another, what, assignment. This is the assignment I'm giving you because we're gonna do it together and you're gonna be just fine. As a matter of fact, if you follow along with me, you're gonna see some pretty amazing things that will build you up, yeah? Here's another one. Who was Moses' right-hand man, his aide? Who was that? Joshua, good job. Now, every service has blown that answer. I just need you to know you are not the only ones. It's a trick question. Everyone's like, Aaron, no. Okay, all right. Now, Aaron was his high priest, and so I'm gonna give you a half point. All right, I'm gonna give you guys a half point. All right, cool. Somebody's keeping score, right? Okay. His aide was Joshua, and Joshua traveled with him. He watched over all the things he had. He went up on the mountain with him. Well, as a matter of fact, Moses handed over all the leadership to Joshua. Joshua took over the nation. If you remember, Joshua was the one that led the famous battle where the walls came tumbling down. At what city? Jericho. Jericho. All right. So sure enough, right after that major battle, they go into a little baby battle and they lose. Joshua was horrified. He falls down before God. Why? Why me? And God said, get up. And he's like, I'm trying to be sad. He's like, gotcha, get up. There's sin in the camp, and if I continue to bless you, and we don't root this out early, this is gonna be a serious problem, man. And he's like, what are you talking about? Your guys are stealing from me. Oh, you're right, that's not good. No, it's not good. That's why I shut you down. I was trying to call attention to something so that we could nip it in the bud and we could move on and continue to grow together. I'm not saying no because I don't care about you. I'm not saying no because I am not having you on my plan. I'm telling you no because we need to get things right from the get-go. Here's another one. First king of Israel, his name is Saul. If you remember, Saul was barely ever connected to God, but boy, did God try. I mean, he was reaching out to that guy, anointing that guy, and he was constantly interacting with him. And Saul was so concerned about other people, so concerned about his insecurity, so concerned about his paranoia and keeping power, he kept shoving God away. Eventually, God said, we are done here. I'm not talking to you anymore. 
Why would he do that? Because to enable that bad behavior would just further destroy this man. God said no for a good reason. But the greatest king of Israel outside of Jesus Christ was King David. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Do you remember that? Now, if you're a man after God's own heart, clearly every prayer you pray is a yes, right? No. He comes up to God, God, I have a great idea. And God's like, well, <laughs> I will determine whether or not that's true, right? Well, you know what? Here's the thing. I got big plans. I have been living in a pretty sweet palace, and I feel like I could build you the greatest house, man. I got cash. I got workers. I'm ready to go. As a matter of fact, I've been watching Home Improvement Channel, and I feel like I have some glorious ideas for your kitchen, right? So he then presents it out to God. I want to build you a temple. And God said, what? No. Now, how in the world could you be mad about that? He's trying to do you a favor. And God said, because there's a bigger plan in play, and I'm not sure you're tracking on it. Here's the deal. Kiddo, I have used you in some pretty rough ways. You have been my warrior. You have hurt a lot of people. Your hands have a lot of blood on them. I don't want people going to church remembering it was built by the guy with a lot of murder on his hands. So we need one generation to wash. I'll let your kid build it, but I'm not letting you build it, okay? Well, I don't really like that. I get you. I'm telling you it's important, all right? Imagine this. This man after God's own heart didn't always do everything right. Is that correct? As a matter of fact, he has an affair with a woman named what? Bathsheba, yeah? If you're brand new to church, you're like, how does everyone know this stuff? <laughs> Is this like a cult? What is happening here, right? Is there some code that I'm looking like trying to figure out? Okay, once again, these are, I'm trying to grab some famous stories of the Bible, right? Okay, so Bathsheba, he has an affair with her. What does he do with her husband? Kills him. So, so far, he's batting a thousand. Affair, kills the guy, and then they have a child from that rendezvous. Do you remember this? The child gets sick. David goes into prayer, goes into fasting, calls out to God. God, save the kid, save the boy, save the boy, save the boy. The boy dies. That's a no. You would go, Lord, didn't he repent? And God's saying, listen, this is not a penalty because you didn't repent. This is a consequence to your actions. That you need to understand that as much as I have grace for you and kindness for you, just because you are super sad about what you've done doesn't negate all the ramifications that it caused. So I just need you to understand, this is part of development. That's rough, yeah? Here's another one. Do you realize that two great prophets, Elijah and Jonah, were so distraught and in such a dark place, they asked God to kill them? Do you remember this? And God said what? No. Because here's what he said, kid, you are in an emotional place where you can't see daylight. I live above the clouds. I'm always in daylight. So what I need you to understand is that your emotions are clouding your view. I will not allow your narrow mindedness to dictate to me what is best for you. I'm telling you right now, I have more resources for you, more encouragement for you, more life for you, more hope for you. And I'm not going to let you call it early. So the answer to that is no. My love for you is sufficient. I will get you through. Kiddo, we might be able to quit tomorrow. We're not quitting today, right? That's powerful. You guys think it's only Old Testament. It's not. 
Paul the Apostle, thorn in the flesh. Yeah, you know this story? He has something, either it's a person that is constantly up in his face, causing ministry to be miserable. Maybe it's a sin that he's wrestling with internally. Maybe it is a situation of physical problems that he has, but he has what he calls a messenger of Satan, a tormentor of the flesh. He said, man, I hate this. It makes my life hard and miserable. God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. Three times, God says what? No. Why, God, why would you not take away something that hurts me so bad? He said, kid, here's the reality. The reality is I have anointed you in a way that very few people have ever been anointed. Your laundry heals people. You're on a different level. As a matter of fact, you speak in tongues more than everybody. You have the ability to heal. I move through you in miracles on the normal. As a matter of fact, I have caught you up into heaven. I have shown you visions human beings have never seen. And if I continue blessing you that way and you're not grounded, you're going to be a monster. I need you to remember you're human. I need you to remember that you are attached, that you don't just become some megalomaniac. So I'm going to tell you right now, you have hardship because it keeps you where I need you to be. I know it's not what you want, kid, but it's what you need, yeah? But perhaps the loudest no in all the Bible happened in a garden called Gethsemane. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, a member of the Trinity, in his humanity was so stressed out over going to the cross, not because of the physical torture, but because of the coming schism within the Trinity, that he was sweating, the Bible says, like great drops of what? Blood. And as he is torn apart, asking for his friends to intercede for him, feeling so desperate, he calls out and says, Father, can we please do this another way? And there's no indicator, an answer came. That means no. And when you don't get an answer, it means the last plan is still in play. What was the last plan? Go to the cross. And he continued moving forward. You see, what I'm trying to do is reset your expectations that no doesn't mean God doesn't love you. As a matter of fact, it's a parenting tool. Do you not parent the same way? Here's what I mean. Do we not parent through a no more than we do a yes? And you go, wow, that makes me sound bad. No, 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 hold on. If the parent's demeanor is largely freedom, they only need to talk about where the boundaries are. Because if all kinds of things are available to the child, you don't need to tell them what to do. You simply need to guide them on what they should not do. In other words, we say these things to our kids. Don't run in the street. That is for their protection. That's a no, correct? However, we don't need to say, okay, you can run on grass. You can run in the backyard. You can run on a track. You can run. That's stupid. Why would we tell them all the yeses they can run when they're allowed to run anywhere they want, but not in the street? You see, when you serve a God who has so much room for you to run, he needs to parent through the boundaries. Hey, kiddo, 
We're not doing that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. You're hurting people. Knock it off. Yeah, but I'm, okay, I got you. I got, you got a bunch of other stuff over here. We can play with everybody else's toy, right? We got it. Don't take your sister's toy. Knock it off, right? The point being, when we begin to see value, when we begin to see love and parenting attached to God's no, we are able to enter into our prayer times with an actual open hand, not saying, Lord, give me my will, but Lord, let your will be done. Can God say no to us? He should be. You see, a true life of faith is not asking God to put a rubber stamp on our plan but to try to align our plans with his. Yeah? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Sometimes we need a no to get a yes. Sometimes we need a no to get a yes. Would you turn with me in the Bible to Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Acts 16, 6. If you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. If you're brand new to the Bible, I'll give you the page number. And that is page 925, 925, that'll get you there and you can kind of follow along with us. Wherever I deviate from the Bible that you're reading, I'm just trying to insert little notes that help you understand the history of it, all right? So I'm gonna, mine's gonna sound a little bit different than yours as we kind of move through. But as normal, we're gonna read a little bit, we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna read a little bit, we're gonna talk about it. That's our Bible study of today. All right, Acts chapter 16, verse six. Everybody there? Here we go. And they, who is they? So far we know of three people in this story. Paul the apostle, Silas the prophet, and Timothy the protege. That is they. And they went through the central Turkish region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, check this out, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the gospel in Asia to the east. And when they had come up to the north coast of Turkey, to the city of Mycenae, they attempted to go into the coastal town of Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by that city, they went down to the coastal town of Troas. Let's pause. That's a lot of no. God, I am out on a mission trip. Last time I got stoned to death. Clearly I'm committed. So I'm willing to do whatever you want to do. I'm saying, yes, let's do that. All I'm trying to do is spread the gospel. I will heal whoever you want me to heal. I will cast out whatever demon you want me to cast out. I will do whatever miracle you want. I will share the gospel with anyone and everyone. I am not resisting you, Lord. So why are you shutting me down everywhere we go? trying to go this way. Why would they not need the gospel? I mean, this doesn't even make any sense to me, Lord. I'm trying to do what you want. How come I keep running into dead ends? Wouldn't you think that some of the greatest Christians in the world as a team would have an easier travel map? That God would just spell it all out for them. Hey guys, go to this location, then go to this location, right? But that's not how real life goes. As a matter of fact, they felt pretty frustrated. And it says the Holy Spirit blocked them from going to Asia. How the heck did he do that? Was he like waiting behind a bush? He's like, ha ha, right? He's like, you shall not pass. 
right? It was one of those things. Probably not. Why? Why would he block them from going to Asia? That's a great idea. Hold on. Sometimes we have a lot of good ideas we bring to God, but he needs to supersede them with the best idea. You see, sometimes when we hear a no from God, we feel like we failed, that we said something wrong. No, it's possible you may not have looked high enough. Sometimes you're bringing something beautiful to the table. It's just not the fullness of what God wants. So he still has to tell you no, and that's okay, right? So sure enough, the Holy Spirit blocks him from going to Asia. How did he do that? Well, I think it's one of two things. Either this crew is so tracking on the Lord and they're checking in all the time that maybe even the prophet, because remember, Paul is a prophet, Silas is a prophet. Maybe one of them received a word from the Holy Spirit and they got clarity, hey, we're not supposed to go there. That is possible. Or number two, logistically, they couldn't do it. And they found out later that was the Holy Spirit blocking them. You see, that's very, very common. What will happen is that God will orchestrate scenarios. You won't see them in the moment as God's direction. You see it in retrospect, right? For example, it would sound something like this. Hey, guys, we're going to go into Asia. Oh, really? Sweet. Where are we staying? We'll actually talk to Dave and Barb, and uh, they're going to have us stay at their place. They're like, you do know that Dave and Barb are on vacation, right? Seriously? Right now? Okay, guys, we're not going to Asia. Just like that. Right? Maybe something got shut down. Maybe something got blocked. They don't know. But the Holy Spirit was in the scenario, right? And now it happens in your life. Lord, I really, really want this job. I really, really want this job. God, I did not get that job. <laughs> and he's like, check. <laughs> right? And he was like, that is not what I wanted for you. And you're just like, oh, that was a terrible accident. No, in retrospect, you end up watching him move you over here and you got into another place and he said, that's where I've called you. That's very common. But then what's interesting is it says, and then they tried to do other ministry and the spirit of Jesus blocked them. Like the Holy Spirit's like, I got the last one. You get this one, right? Like, that's so weird. Why shift, right? And it, there's a couple things we learn from this. Number one, they're so close to the Lord, they recognize that individual persons have different roles. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. God, Yahweh, reveals himself through three persons, right? But they actually have unique roles. And so whenever they're operating in their specific function, they are the ones communicating to you. And they're the ones that should be addressed. If we were gonna say something about dying for our sins, we're going to address the second person of the Trinity, which is who? Jesus Christ. And if we were gonna talk about the initiation of love and the initiation of creation, we would talk to the Father. If we were interested in talking about the current guidance or illumination of scripture, we'd talk about the Holy Spirit. So, still one God, all same mind, but moving through three different persons, they knew how to discern between the two based on the role that was happening at the time. What this should tell you is God is not one big blob force. He is a personal, very specific God. Yeah? Which means we can have a relationship with him. 
which means that he's not just ethereal, he's real. And I think that's really beautiful, yeah? Very, very important. All right, so they ended up down in Troas on the beach. That reminds me of one more thing. They kind of got there on the way being bumped around. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. Well, pastor, we know you're not very good at science or math. What is your point? Here's my point. Too often, we're sitting on our couch waiting for God to give us our assignment of how our great ministry is going to happen. How about going out there and doing something and letting God steer you along the way? You understand what I'm talking about? Because they were just doing ministry. They're like, hey, I'm doing the next thing in front of me. This one got blocked. I can still help out. And while they were helping out, the Lord steered them like a river. Yeah? But they were in motion. What we cannot do is say, I'm not moving until you give me all the answers. That's not going to happen, right? So we need to get out there. Sometimes leadership means doing the thing that's right in front of you. Let God make the decision next. Pick it up in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul there on that beach, right? In the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia on the northern Greek side of the Mediterranean Ocean and help us. Let's pause. I have been to this beach. As a matter of fact, it was so, and once again, it's just a beach, but I was there and I actually took a container and I scooped up some of the sand from Troas. It's actually in my office right now because I know how significant this beach is. And you say, but pastor, is that not a federal offense? <laughs> and I say, I don't know. I didn't look it up, so I don't feel guilty. That's what I said. Can we move on, please? Thank you. <laughs> he has this vision of somebody on the Greek side of things saying, come over and help us. What's a vision? It's, a, it's like a dream, but you're awake. Let's talk about this for a moment because it seems pretty freaky. Because you would go, oh my gosh, I'm seeing images as I'm, I'm awake. Well, 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 hold on. What's a dream? Is a dream really happening? No, it's not. It is images in your imagination. How do we know that? Because your eyeballs are closed. So you're not seeing it, but you're seeing it. You understand what I'm talking about? So that can happen when you're asleep, but that can also happen when you're awake. And you go, well, that's kind of weird because I'm already looking at this. Is it like an overlay? And how does it work? Okay, hold on. Let's say you're praying and had your eyes closed while you're awake and you began to see like a dream. That would be a vision. Now, why is it that we don't hear more about that? Kind of happens quite a bit in the New Testament. What happened in the Old Testament? Why is that biblical reality not being matched here in our reality? Huh? Now, I have a guess. Now, I'm going to give you my guess. This is only a guess, and it's just coming from me. This is not biblical fact. So let's take it with a grain of salt, yeah? Here's my guess. I believe that we do not normally interact with visions today because our prayer lives are too shallow. And what I mean by that is, most of us have a prayer view of get in, get out, read your list, and bail, right? Lord, I'm stuck, I need this, I need that. Anyway, I gotta go. He couldn't get a word in edgewise, right? 
We don't have long periods where we sit with him and listen. We also don't have deep experiences where we're leaning in really hard. That what we tend to do is we keep a little bit of a superficial prayer life, and I think that he needs some time and space to operate. Because I'm going to tell you, it doesn't just normally happen where, hey, and I was walking through Walmart, vision, right? That's not normal because, you know, you're crashing your cart into people, right? You know, knocking over all the toilet paper. And and God knows, listen, if we have space together, I want to meet you there. Now, here's here's my dream for us. I'm not going to be content until biblical reality takes place here in its fullness. So what that means is that I dream of a time when our prayer times do grow in maturity. They do grow in depth. They do grow in time. And I would suggest to you that God eagerly would like to give us visions, eagerly like to give us dreams, but we have to be in a place where we are willing to receive, understand it, and know what to do with it. And that requires a little bit of maturing, yeah? But I think it is not only possible It is probable. So we're going to continue to press in, grow up in our prayer lives, and see what God does. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep going. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, pause. What just happened? It just shifted pronouns from they, them, to us, we. Why? Quick question. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is volume two. Okay? Acts of the Apostles. It is here that Dr. Luke joined the team. So before that, he was doing research and they were telling him what they did. So he was simply chronicling their events. But it's here in this part of the world, he happened to be in that town, they happened to connect in, and he joins the team. So we now have Dr. Luke, Apostle Paul, Prophet Silas, and we have protege Timothy. Now we at least have a group of four. Why in the world would Paul travel with a medical doctor? If he was sick, shouldn't he just heal himself? Because that's not how it works, right? Were there things that he needed to take care of? Were there other things that he brought to the table? Was he a key part of the team? The answer to that is absolutely yes. And currently, he is now recording it and talking about what they did. All right, let's pick it up, verse 11. So setting sail from the beach at Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, which is a famous landmark island that juts out of the ocean 5,000 feet in elevation. It's a famous religious place. And the following day, they went to Neapolis, which is a seaport of the town of Philippi. And from there, they traveled 10 miles inland to the town of Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. Okay. Did you see it? One of the most important things that ever happened in all of history just occurred just now. And I'm not playing, like I'm serious. It's... This is life-changing. What just happened? Missionaries of Jesus Christ, Christianity was just brought to Europe. 
Now, I need you to understand, we just shifted from the East world to the Western civilization. Right there. Quick question for you. How many of us in this room have immigrant family that came over from Europe? The majority, yes? You would not have churches in America. You would not have Bridgeway. You would not have the Protestants over here if it was not for this moment. It was primarily an Eastern movement. It was primarily in a Jewish context. It was primarily going to be an Eastern thing, but now it's in the Western world. As a matter of fact, it's going to pick up steam in the Western world, become a big Western movement, and that's when it becomes dominant in the world with 250 years. This right here, this moment. The gospel comes to Europe. And the world has never been the same. Ah, it's powerful. How did it go? Go to verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Okay, let's pause. Paul joined a women's group. <laughs> That's weird. Why is that? I mean, is that like his normal thing or is that new? Oh no, that's new. Wait, what? Where are the dudes? Oh, hold on a second. Quick question for you. What is Paul's normal MO? He's done it the same way in every city since we've been reading this book. He always does the same thing. Whenever he goes to a brand new city, where's the first place he goes? Synagogue. Why? Because he was raised a Jew. He is respected as a Jew. He knows the law backwards and forwards. That's who he starts with. His view is you start with the Jews, then you go to the Gentiles. You start with a home base, and then you move out from there. He's done it every time. So why is he not in the synagogue? There is no synagogue. You go, well, that's not that big of a deal. No, it's a huge deal. Why? Because Jewish rules are if you have 10 Jewish men, you have to start a synagogue. It's not a, I don't know, maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't. It's literally the rules they operate on. There are not 10 Jewish men in the city. Is that important? Well, it's significant because up to this point, there's always been a synagogue wherever he's gone, but we're in the Western world now. Now, all of a sudden, we don't have predominantly Jewish. We don't even have a Jewish presence. We have a little tiny contingent of Jewish people or God-fearing people or people that love Yahweh, and they're all women. And they're right here. So, Paul walks right in and goes, this is my home base. Let's go. Huh. Is that a big deal? Uh, yeah. Here we go. Let's keep going forward. One who heard us, verse 14, was a woman named Lydia. And she was originally from the western Turkish city of Thyatira. She had moved here, probably for business. She's a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Okay, let's pause. What does that mean? Give us a couple things about her. Uh, number one, she's a worshiper of God. That means she's really into Yahweh. Her and Paul worship the same God. Now, why is she called a worshiper of God? 
because she only knew the way of the Jewish people to get to Yahweh, but she didn't go through all the paperwork and process to become a convert of Judaism. She's not allowed to call herself a Jewess convert because she didn't do it. So she is considered a worshiper of God. What in the world, if she already loves Yahweh, if she already has dedicated herself to Yahweh, what in the world can Paul bring to the table? The gospel of Jesus Christ. So there in that moment, he says, hey, ladies, I so appreciate your dedication to our great God. Let me tell you a little more about him. That he came down in the person of Jesus Christ, of whom we have been impacted, of whom I have met personally in a vision. Let me tell you about how this second person of the Trinity made a way for mankind to be rescued, that Jesus himself came down and lived a life of 30 years of absolute perfection, launched a ministry for three years, ended up on the cross to die so that his payment would cover over our sin for any that fall at his feet and cry out and surrender save me lord they would be rescued they would be transformed they would be born again they would get a chance to start afresh all their sins are gone forevermore they are now a child of god they live in perpetual grace right this is the gospel of jesus christ man she heard that mind blow right She's like, I'm in. And she got saved at that moment. Man. As a matter of fact, it says this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Do you know that nobody gets saved unless God opens our hearts? I don't care how great of a preacher somebody is. I don't care how strategic the message is. Nobody gets saved without God opening their heart. You know what this tells me? If you have somebody in your life that you desperately love and you want them to know the Lord like you do, you want them to become a Christian, what is the first thing you must do? Shove it down their throat, that's right. <laughs> that is always effective. You pray. Because if God doesn't open the heart, nothing's happening. The way true evangelism must work is it begins in prayer. And as we begin to pray and God begins to open doors and soften hearts, we begin to see opportunity to gently approach a subject and listen deeply to where God has them. It is then we respond with truth and love, and that is when they begin to catch fire. That's how it should work. Wow. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about this lady because she is super unique. It says that she is a dealer in purple things. What the heck does that mean? Welcome to my purple store. We have purple chairs. We have purple curtains, right? What does it mean? Well, it's actually very specific. Uh, the word that is used for purple here is also used of a mollusk. You're like, I'm confused. And <laughs> I'm like, yes, you are. There's two ways to make purple dye. Right? One of them is through a plant that is not very common. The other one is through an actual little critter that lives in the Mediterranean Ocean. And what you do is you grab the little mollusk and you squeeze them real hard and you get a drop. Now, have you ever wondered why royal clothing, you'd see kings in red, purple, 
and blue. Why is that? Because that was the hardest cloth to come by because you didn't have the dye. So if it was super expensive, the royalty wanted it. So she deals in high fashion. You understand what I'm talking about? And she is loaded. She is super influential. She's a big dog. She is referred to as an overseer with her household. Now we're gonna get into what that means in a moment, but I need you to understand, she is very successful in life, but notice this, her heart is still open to the Lord. The unfortunate thing is that many of us, our success has blinded our eyes. We think we're too good for church, we think we're too smart for God, and we think we don't need him because we have our cash. Let me remind you that all those are alive from the pit of hell. I'm gonna encourage you that if your heart is soft before God, he can use you. If it is not, he cannot. So her heart was open. Maybe some people around you, their heart is open and you would speak into that. But I wanna talk about this woman because there's something really unusual here that Paul goes in and talks to her. Paul goes into the women's group. And look at what happens. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, verse 15, and after she was baptized, well, that was quick. One of the benefits of doing ministry by a river is that what you do is you tell them to close their eyes and pray the sinner's prayer, and while their eyes are closed, you push them. And they just topple over right into the water. And you just have like a double power right there. You know what I'm saying? That you get them wet and get them saved on the same day. That's fantastic. After she was baptized, look at the next line. And her household as well. I'm sorry, what? With the whole, everybody. She has a household. Household doesn't mean her kids. Household means her servants. She has an entire staff that lives in her house. She's that wealthy. She's that influential. She's that powerful. Why would they get baptized? Did they also have a moment with Jesus? Probably not. Then why did they get in the water? Because she said, get in the water. <laughs> yes, ma'am, that's what we do. Okay, why? Because in the ancient world, you had a master. The master of the household would tell everybody what to do. And that means our household will be run in a Christian style. I don't care what you think about it. That's what's going to happen. So everybody got into the water. Did they get saved that day? No, they're going to have to work that out on their own. But they do know that they're going to follow whatever their boss tells them to do. Notice no man is mentioned. No man's running that household. She's running that household. Let's be very clear, in the ancient world, women were not just single. So either her husband was a non-believer, which is less likely, or she was a widow. Widows had more opportunity to do things. So sure enough, we have no guy around. She's the head of her household. She's the head of her business. That's how it works. Now, take a look at the next thing. She said, she urged us saying, since you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay with me. And she prevailed upon us. What does that mean? It means it started out with, no, we couldn't possibly. She's like, get in the house. They're like, yep, we're going to your house. That's fantastic. All righty. Little bossy woman right there. Okay. Do you see what happened? Okay, let me give you the rest of the story. What you don't realize is that they start a church in her house. 
the first church of all of Europe is in her house. And she's the first pastor in all of Europe. Here's why. What you find out is Paul launches a home church in her house. We're finding out, and we're going to see it back in Acts. They'll circle back around, and they come back to her house where the church is. Later on, he writes a letter and refers to the church in Lydia's house. It's not the church in anybody else's house. It's the church in her house. And she's the overseer of her house, which means she's the boss of her house, which means she's the boss of the church. That means that the first pastor of all of Europe was a woman. Now that's crazy. And you're like, but I thought Paul was a chauvinist. How could this happen? First of all, you don't know what you're talking about. He is absolutely not. He's a pragmatist. He is practical. You go, how in the world would he do that? This is radical. Why would he go join the group? Why would he start a church in her house? Why would he put her in charge? Because he saw his boss do it. You see, Jesus Christ changed everything. When he came onto the scene, he started doing radical things nobody else used to do. Other rabbis always spoke down about women. He did not. He used them as examples and lifted them up. When he invited Mary of Bethany to sit at his feet, that is not a, that's cute, let's all have cookies together. To sit at a rabbi's feet and they allow you to do that with the guys, it means you're allowed to be a full-fledged disciple to become a rabbi. That was unheard of. When he met with a woman of the well, right? He met with her one-on-one, -on, -one, on his own. Nobody was allowed to do that. He's a single dude. She's got like a billion husbands, right? Could have got sketchy, right? He ministers to her knowing that she would be the greatest evangelist back to her town and tons of people got saved. Who did Jesus choose to be the first to see the risen Messiah? Mary Magdalene. You think that's an accident? In case you do, who was the second group to see Mary, to see the risen Lord? A group of women. Why? They became the apostles to the apostles. In other words, they spoke of the risen Lord to the very guys who were already called apostles. Did Jesus do that on accident? No, he did not. Did Paul accidentally start a church in Europe with a female pastor. No, he did not. Well, I thought he was anti. I thought he, no, he was not. You got to do your homework. Because 20% of all Paul's named co-worker ministers are female in the Bible. As a matter of fact, you find out he establishes all kinds of things. In the Bible, the only named member of the Laodicean church that's named in the Bible as a woman by the name of Nympha. Junia was an apostle. And it goes on and on and on. Listen, God doesn't have to use women in ministry. God wants to use women in ministry. And I just understand that many of you have not heard a lot of my teachings on that stuff, and that's new to you. I just need you to understand that Paul's ministry and his words actually match Watch how he operates, and you're going to begin to have your eyes opened up. God is doing some mighty things because Jesus flipped the script, and he brought in a whole new covenant. Yeah? All right. Let's finish this out. It says that they ended up over in Europe launching a brand new movement 
in a brand new place. They would have never got there unless they were guided by the Holy Spirit, and they would have never been guided by the Holy Spirit if they were resistant. So we are left with one question. Will we learn and be open to God guiding us? All I want to do as we just close out is just pray, Lord, open our eyes. Open our hearts to hear you. Man, I'm still not, I'm not great at always tracking on everything the Lord does. I have so much to grow in. Maybe you do too. That's okay. That's not wrong. It just means we have more to come. So I'm just going to pray that maybe God would do a supernatural work in this church to allow us to more quickly begin to mature where we would be able to know what his heart is to know what he's calling us to do. Amen? Let's pray about that and we'll get out of here. Yeah? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that as we've been reading through your word, our eyes just keep getting popped open in so many different ways. But right now, Lord, what we are interested in is that we're about to be launched out as the church. We're going to go back out, Lord, and you're going to take us back to our families. You're going to take us to our schools. You're going to take us to our work. You're going to take us with our friends. And Lord, in that place, you're going to want to do a whole bunch of stuff through us. And God, I, we just struggle trying to figure out what's our own idea, what's in our minds, what's the enemy saying, what are you saying? Lord, it all seems so jumbled. Yet your word says that the sheep should know the shepherd's voice. So we ask, Holy Spirit, right now, if you would unstop our ears, that you would open our eyes, that you would allow us to hear loud and clear the voice of our God, that our problem would not be one of ignorance, but one of obedience. So Lord, even right now in this holy moment, we say yes to your plans, your ways, and we just pray, Lord, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.